Welcome. You're listening to Faith vs. Weight with Maria Bauer. Maria is a former U.S. Navy Health Information Systems Officer, current health and wellness coach, and author of the book, Faith vs. Weight, reminding you that you already have victory in Christ. As a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer specializing in weight loss, fitness nutrition, behavioral change, and women's fitness, Maria is also a former Live Strong YMCA cancer survivor trainer. Now, here's your host, Maria Bauer. Hello and welcome. I am so excited to share week two of the following seven-week podcast series with you based on excerpts from my book, Faith vs. Weight. Inspired by the Word of God, Faith vs. Weight is a proven and practical health and wellness program that has helped many, just like you and me, achieve our weight loss victory. It's time to talk about everyone's favorite topic to avoid when it comes to losing weight, self-control. How to get more of it even if you think you don't have any to start with, by introducing our second biblical virtue of the week, temperance. Temperance, according to C.S. Lewis, meant going the right length and no further. Temperance is self-control. Rarely do you hear someone bragging about how much temperance or self-control they have. Most people struggle in this area. You are not alone. Our problem with self-control is our tendency to focus on the self part instead of the reason why we are doing it in the first place, which is the prize we attain by exercising it. Yes, you do get a prize by exercising self-control. Your prize is your reason why, that you worked on defining during week one. It is your God-given heart's desire. This podcast will help you put your energy into focusing on your prize and not all of the reasons why you think you will fail. When you're focused on all of the reasons why you think you can't lose weight, then you have a much better chance of not losing it. Instead, when you are focused on your prize, you have a much better chance of doing what you need to do to get the prize. Over time, doing what you need to do can become a habit in a certain area, and then it no longer feels like self-control. It's just another habit. First, we are going to look at temperance from the perspective of an athlete preparing for a race given to us by Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. The Bible really is a health and wellness guide. Second, we will explore how everyday non-athletes in other cultures traditionally approach temperance as a way of life when it comes to their diet and exercise. In both cases, self-control is just a means to an end that has become a habit. The end is the prize. In the case of the athlete, the prize is to win. In the case of everyday non-athletes in other cultures, the prize is to behave in a way supported and valued in that culture. We want your habits over time to lead to your prize. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, has self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Paul is talking about a race. The perishable crown was a wreath presented to athletes when they won the race. Think Olympics. Instead, the imperishable crown Paul and other believers were excited about striving for is one of the five crowns talked about in the New Testament as a reward for certain believers in heaven. Even though the prize was not easily attainable, they did not focus on themselves or why they did not have enough self-control to get the prize. They focused on the prize. 
Even if we are smart enough to focus on the prize instead of our own shortcomings, the prize has to be worth it. Again, your prize is your God-given heart desire, your reason why talked about in week one. The more excited you are about your prize, the less power your shortcomings will have over you. So now it's time to pack your bags because this podcast involves a little bit of travel. Our first stop is the White House. As a White House military social aide representing the Navy, I had the honor of assisting with event execution at Medal of Honor ceremonies, state dinners, Christmas events, you name it. Many of these were decadent affairs, yet the White House was the first place I remember noticing temperance in action. One late evening, I was surprised to see another Navy aide pass up various desserts after a state dinner made by the White House chefs. With less than 7% body fat, this aide could have afforded a truffle or 10, but he had his eyes on a different prize. He competed in half Ironman triathlons and was not interested in anything that might slow him down for his upcoming race. Since this aide was not competing in the Olympics, I was in awe that he would actually pass up a dessert made by a White House chef. What prize could be worth that level of self-denial? I wondered this as I also wondered if there were any truffle flavors I had accidentally missed. To unearth this answer, I had to marry him. 19 years later, we are still going strong, but in the meantime, I learned his secret, the secret of all athletes, and the secret to self-control contained in the above Bible verse. Are you ready? The secret to self-control has nothing to do with self-control. It has everything to do with the prize you are seeking and what you perceive its value to be. Are you in love with your prize or not? For athletes to have a chance at victory, they have to exercise an inordinate amount of self-control. They have to train when they don't feel like training and say no to foods when they don't feel like saying no. They have to do this almost every day, and in some cases for hours a day. They exercise self-control by choice because they love competing. They strive for first place even though their best effort may not be enough. Striving is not an all-or-nothing event. It is a consistent, measured effort toward an athlete's PB, otherwise known as personal best. Athletes remain on this journey even though they have no guarantee of winning. They have to conserve lots of energy in order to be able to exert lots of energy, and so do you. You cannot afford to waste your energy on lesser things. Self-control and energy are a type of yin and yang that feed off each other in a positive way. Since the goal is not to waste energy, there are two main ways we need to be mindful in order to avoid squandering energy other than unhealthy food and a lack of exercise. First, your PB, or personal best, is going to look a lot different from someone else's. That doesn't matter. Stay in your lane. Go for your PB, or you will waste energy worrying about everyone else's and throw temperance along with your potential out the window. This is not called NB, your neighbor's best. This is called PB, your personal best. Too many people get lost in the comparison trap and lose the race along with other opportunities to win before they even enter. Instead, conserve your energy by keeping your eyes on your prize, like a racehorse with blinders on. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
Joshua 1, 7. Second, the more you value or love your prize, the more energy you will invest in seeking it. If your why does not feel as if it is a prize worth fighting for, you are going to waste a lot of energy on cheap imitations. If your why isn't bigger than a donut, ask the Lord to direct you to verses in the Bible to help you fall in love with your why. If your why is from the Lord, it will be your heart's desire. Temperance or self-control is just a means to an end. That's it. The imperishable crown Paul talked about is the prize for those who have led a temperate life. In order to achieve this, Paul kept his eyes on his heart's desire, which was becoming more like Christ, not on his unending struggles and shortcomings. Hopefully, with each new day, we are headed in that same direction also. Do you believe it is impossible for you to practice self-control when it comes to food? Ask yourself if you are answering this question based on your current beliefs about your self-control or as if God is in control. Because if the prize you are seeking is your God-given heart's desire, then God has already equipped you with all of the self-control you will ever need to attain it. Once you are born again, you are already a contender for the imperishable crown. For you have been born again, not from perishable seed, but imperishable, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 1 Peter 1.23 The imperishable seed has already been planted in all believers. Without temperance or self-control, victories in all areas of your life would be few and far between. Yet in the U.S., an all-or-nothing mentality, the opposite of temperance, is celebrated. Denying yourself because you are excited about the prize is very different than denying yourself because you think you should be denying yourself. Unfortunately, the latter is how most people view healthy eating. In the first case, you are excited about the prize, but in the second, you are already set up to fail. Self-control is all how you look at it. Everyone thinks that they have to have more self-control in order to attain their heart's desire, which has been placed there by Jesus, when the opposite is true. We need Jesus in order to have self-control. This is a supernatural power you do not have without Him. Self-control in all areas can sound overwhelming, but in reality, there is only one area where you need self-control, and that is in deciding how close you are willing to walk with Jesus. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more temperate you will be in all things, because now you are putting God in control instead of self. You are not interested in anything that comes between the two of you. As soon as you realize He alone can fill your needs, you outgrow them. Therein lies your self-control. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Satan wants to keep you more focused on the struggle instead of the prize. Satan's lies appear to fulfill an immediate need to relieve the struggle today, but in reality, he only creates more want tomorrow. He whispers, yes, you deserve that sea salt caramel. Your electrolytes must be low. Why don't you have extra whip while you're at it? Instead, if you are more focused on the prize than the struggle, you have a much better chance at victory. The good news is you don't have to participate in the same level of self-denial as an Olympic athlete or even an Ironman to lose weight, but you do have to exert a sustained effort. Without it, victories are far and few between. Contrary to popular belief, 
A sustained effort is actually a lot easier than all or nothing. Most diets today are all all or nothing, and we keep getting fatter and fatter. On the other hand, many people all over the world apply a sustained effort without even knowing it because it has become a habit. This is your goal. However, in the U.S., our tendency is to be either obsessive over our habits or ignore them. We are either signing up for boot camp classes seven days a week after not having exercised in years, or we are growing roots as a couch potato. Neither approach is conducive to temperance or your health. The other good news is you are not born with your habits. Just as you learned your habits, you can unlearn them. As you visualize your God-given heart's desire, you will be inspired to replace self-defeating habits with ones that lead to victory. Many cultures around the world practice temperance with their traditional eating habits. They eat a certain way without even thinking about it. They don't go from fasting to keto to low carb to shots to whatever the latest craze is, which leads me to our next stop, Bon Appetit. Let's zip on over on our Vespa to an outdoor cafe in Paris I once visited. It was a starlit evening with most Parisians looking as if they had just left a French Vogue photo shoot. Not a whole lot of sweatpants here. The women were rather petite compared to American standards. They probably had never even seen the inside of a gym or tried the latest fad diet. But at last, it was finally time for dessert, and the table next to ours was about to order. I couldn't wait to see what was on the menu. Wait a minute. Did I hear that right? Did she just order? This must have been a language barrier thing or something. Oh my goodness. It actually looked like, was it really a piece of fruit? Seriously? She ordered one slice of cantaloupe? Are you kidding me? Doesn't she know this is a culinary capital of the world? On top of that, she was eating it with a fork and a knife. I had never seen anyone eat fruit with a fork and a knife. Sorry, I must not have gotten out much. I mean, maybe if the cantaloupe was cut up in a fruit salad, I might have eaten it with a fork. Anyway, she savored her dessert as if it were some sort of sumptuous delicacy. Her friend ordered mini cakes called Petit Fours. At least this woman was not going to disappoint. Well, they were a little small, a square inch, but this was France, okay. At least this was actually a real dessert. However, after a bite or two, she appeared disinterested. Was there something wrong with her dessert? Did she want something else instead? Wasn't she worried about wasting her food? Apparently, she did not subscribe to this way of thinking. She certainly was not a member of the Clean Your Plate Club. The two French women continued to sip their cafe, chatting and laughing while admiring the starry night. It seemed like they were more interested in enjoying the ambiance of the evening than getting their money's worth by licking their plate clean. Then it was time to go. Was something actually more interesting than their dessert? These two women got up from their dinner looking just as good as when they walked in, ending with a stroll along the River Seine. I guess they had better things to do. I am thankful that the U.S. has taken major steps to educate the public on healthy eating, but I'm afraid going for a stroll on a starry night in lieu of overdoing dessert is a thing of the past. Unfortunately, you are more likely to find us with a gargantuan plate of Nacho Supreme at a restaurant before our main course has even been ordered, let alone dessert. If not, we may be gulping down pizza, fast food, or a bag of 30% more free of some unidentifiable ingredients while lounging in our expandable sweatpants in a semi-comatose media trance. Last time I checked, this is not why Jesus came. 
I am not saying you should move to France, although I do enjoy visiting. This was just where I happened to be when I first noticed temperance practice as part of a cultural lifestyle. Since then, I have also seen temperance practiced in Japan, Spain, Austria, Prague, Italy, Israel, and Switzerland, not to mention other countries. Temperance is probably also the reason why the French, Japanese, and Swiss women are not fat when they follow their traditional diet. This sounds like a gross generalization. I get it. But these countries have lower obesity rates. Temperance is practiced and celebrated within traditional diets in these cultures. It's just a habit. These cultures have another easy-to-overlook practice in common also. They all end their meals with coffee or tea. My unscientific theory, until someone proves it, is these beverages with no sugar added are a consistent cue to the brain to stop eating, simply because they are used to having them at the end of their meal. I also believe because these beverages are acidic. It is the yin to the sugar yang. I have experimented with this concept using decaf and herbal teas, and it works. You don't need a double shot espresso. If you add sugar, I don't find the same effect. Without sugar, and even with a touch of cinnamon in your coffee and tea, like I said, you may have the yin to that sugar yang. This simple move has cut through my sugar cravings like a knife after meals. Why not carry white herbal or decaf green tea bags with you to dinner functions? Have it with a piece of dark chocolate instead of plowing into a towering dessert that will keep you up all night. Hot beverages without sugar added also tend to slow you down when you eat dessert. It goes from looking at your plate to a little dessert to a piece of dessert on a pretty plate with a cup of tea or coffee. Now you're having an experience. As you would imagine, these cultures typically have a small amount of coffee or tea. You don't need the 24 ounce mega size. Four to six ounces is plenty with an equally small dessert. And in the evening, I would always go for herbal tea or decaf. Although it would be wonderful to also see everyone take a walk after dinner, it seems to be just as unrealistic to suggest we eat slower. However, both are huge factors within these cultures. When you eat quickly, you eat more. If you're going to have a dessert, at least savor it and have a small amount while you're savoring it instead of inhaling it in a trance at the checkout line. Studies show people are no more satisfied after the third bite, so you don't need a lot, whether they have three bites or 20. However, they are extremely dissatisfied when they cannot fit into their pants. So what has food done for you lately? Successful advertisements for chocolate products, especially around Valentine's Day, are designed to create an emotional response. Of course, the women in these commercials are all skinny and gorgeous, a little different from the rest of us. On top of that, their adoringly perfect husbands picked out these chocolates for them. We want to be just like them. Look, they can eat a particular brand of chocolate and still be skinny. Why can't we? So we use food to stuff down our emotions and live the marketer's dream. We are just happy we got it at 50% off. Although somehow we are not savoring it and eating just one like the supermodel lookalike in the commercial. We are eating it all day. An emotional response to food is why many struggle with temperance. Just like you have a need for love, you also have a need for nourishment. And both needs can be satisfied in life-giving ways. In your search for love, you may wind up looking for it in all of the wrong places, leaving you even lonelier than when you started. This creates more doubt in your ability to have a healthy relationship with yourself and others. 
Many struggling with their weight feel as if they are not quite up to par, doubting they will ever find peace with their body or food again. Maybe you would never put up with this abuse from another person. No way. You have way too much going for you than to put up with that kind of abuse from anybody except, of course, from yourself. Instead, give yourself some grace. Another reason why you may overeat is because you are eating foods of negligible nutritional value. Most things that come in a bag or box are lacking. If you want to learn how to be temperate, you need to eat real food. You have practically unlimited options. It is easier to be temperate when you are receiving proper nourishment and eating real food that looks good. Salad bars are one of the easiest ways to do this at lunchtime without cooking. Just make sure you add protein and a healthy fat. Remember what we discussed during week one. Preventative eating involves three main ingredients. Number one, lean protein. Number two, veggies or fruit. Number three, a plant-based fat. Just make sure you only add 100 calories of plant-based fat, pesto or almonds to each meal and snack. You can pick veggies for your meals and fruits for your snacks. As for your fruit, your best picks are low glycemic options like berries. Have this three main ingredient combination with its endless variety every few hours and you will squelch cravings. When it comes to dinner or after dinner, you will add one more ingredient to the above and that is a starchy carbohydrate and of course your 100 calorie dessert. If you need more guidance, you can listen to week one again and or download Faith vs. Weight on Kindle for $3.99. There are charts in the appendix that go into greater detail, but this is the gist of it. Our next stop, the Greek Isles. The sirens in Greek mythology used to lure sailors with their enchanting music and beauty, only to have them crash along the rocky coast. These sirens held the promise of something that would satisfy human desire, but instead destroyed the seeker. Among other things, this luring reminds me of our processed food supply. Every day, there is yet another new candy, cookie, drink, or some other confection luring you in. The same goes with diets. Most diets are not sustainable because they do not provide enough nutrient-dense calories. We are starving and or they are loaded with processed foods. We are taking in chemicals, triggering cravings. Processed foods are slowly killing America with very few exceptions. Most are created so you will never be satisfied. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. Haggai. One, six. Never being satisfied is personified in the Greek mythology character Tantalus. You've probably already guessed his name is the origin for the word tantalize. Tantalus suffered from eternal hunger and eternal thirst. Every time he tried to get closer to the dangling fruit or water nearby, they moved farther away. This reminds me of what food manufacturers call the bliss point. The bliss point in food manufacturing is the amount of sugar, salt, and fat, or their substitutes added to make something irresistible or almost impossible to eat just one. This also applies to the coffee industry. Gourmet coffees are loaded with chemicals. Unfortunately, most coffees have the same or more calories as an ice cream shake, or they are completely loaded with fake sugars, which are unable to ever satisfy cravings. There is nothing wrong with you. Your body chemistry, which is influenced by a myriad of factors beyond genetics, may make it harder for you than someone else to eat or drink just one. Some can have one glass of wine, whereas someone else may evolve into an alcoholic. Likewise, it is more difficult for some than others to minimize sugar and its substitutes. 
In this case, it is even harder for some people than resisting alcohol, since sugar is ubiquitous and not only socially acceptable, but celebrated. We haven't figured out yet that the overconsumption of processed foods and sugar is actually killing us, so many of us are in an eternal state of buying. Just like Tantalus, you will never be satisfied. The sirens and Tantalus remind us that Satan puts out the best first, only to leave us wanting in the end, left with the worst. From a spiritual standpoint, when you use and then later abuse people or things for a purpose other than what God intended, you will also wind up crashing on a rocky coast. It usually does not appear this way in the beginning. Similar to the call of the sirens, these situations appear wonderfully enticing. Of course they do, or why else would we be game? It even looks like something you have under control. Yet it can escalate into something you do not recognize, causing you to no longer recognize yourself. God doesn't give you self-control so you can have a boring life. He gives you temperance to protect you so that you can have fullness of life. But what if you have an eating disorder? Eating disorders require professional help. This is not medical advice. If you need help, please get it. In most cases, the majority of overeating is not necessarily tied to an eating disorder. Sugar, chemicals, exhaustion, and stress are linked to overeating. If I start the day with sugar, the rest of the day winds up being a train wreck. That's why I recommend to you and my clients, keep sugar as a dessert. If you consume sugar earlier in the day, you will have problems with portion control all day, throw in some emotional drama, and it can be the difference between having one ice cream cone or an all-out bender. So how do you know if you have a problem requiring medical intervention? The first place to look to determine whether or not you need outside help is your trigger foods. Most people are not binge eating celery. Many snack foods are trigger foods. They tempt you without ever satisfying you. Many of the healthy packaged options lead to more overeating even though they have the word healthy on them. Real food that is not processed gives your body all the right signals to cue satiation. However, even with real food, you can get your signals crossed. First, cut out processed foods to see if you still have a problem. Then pay attention to which real foods leave you feeling satiated and full for hours or looking for a way to break into the vending machine. Sugar, starchy carbohydrates, salt, and, fat, and certain fats can all trigger cravings. Another trigger is hunger. If you are starving, you are less likely to stop at an appropriate amount. Again, starving equals stuffed. You need to eat at regular intervals as discussed earlier. If you are in a bind, at least have a 100 calorie pack of nuts, dried edamame, or pistachios in the shell on hand as an emergency snack. Studies show people report less satisfaction after snacks than meals, which makes perfect sense since most people are eating junk for snacks or their snacks are not enough calories, causing them to want to graze all day. This is why we include a substantial snack such as nuts, fruit, and a string cheese as our afternoon snack instead of just fruit alone. A snack should be adequate enough to get your mind off food without ruining your appetite for your next meal. I'll repeat it. A snack should be adequate enough to get your mind off of food without ruining your appetite for your next meal. Food is meant to fortify and satisfy in order to make you stop thinking about food and begin the task at hand. 
Eating is not meant to serve as an ongoing entertainment, hobby, or distraction. It is meant to keep you fueled. On that note, if you need a morning snack and are skipping it because you typically eat an early lunch, you can have your morning snack a couple hours after your lunch and then have your afternoon snack later in the day before dinner. Many of my clients who are teachers do this because they have to eat early lunches and do not have time for a morning snack before lunch. So they have it a couple hours after lunch or immediately after the school day in the car before they go home. If they don't push their morning snack to early afternoon while also having another afternoon snack later in the day, they wind up starving at dinner. Now, let's talk about special occasions. Special occasion or not? I love to celebrate. However, the term special occasion makes me cringe. Why? Temperance seems to go out the window. New clients almost overdo it always on special occasions. I never subscribe to the guilt philosophy. I just ask clients how they felt after the indulgence. In case you were wondering, it is the same answer for a special occasion as it is for a regular occasion. Sugar is still sugar, even if it is a special occasion. It's important to remember how you feel after the party is over. Then it's time to mentally rehearse a more favorable outcome, like an athlete going over a play to prepare for future success. Otherwise, special occasions result in our feeling not so special. If this were only once in a while, it would be no big deal. But we each must have at least 10 special occasions a month in the U.S. Let's see. We have a co-worker's baby shower, an anniversary, a birthday party, and then another birthday party. Then we have boss's day, secretary's day, teacher appreciation's day, sibling's day, mother's day, father's day, grandparents' day, and mother-in-law's day. Didn't even realize this one existed until recently. Sorry. We have had company in and out of town, all kinds of things going on. Notice, I have not even mentioned a single holiday between Halloween and Valentine's Day, which is considered the holiday season. Or, the, or all of the 4th of July barbecues. On and on it goes, and where it stops, nobody knows. You may love to celebrate. However, you do not need to overeat for everyone else's special occasion. Overeating does not make it special. Besides designated special occasions, it is a rare occasion when I don't hear someone say they need to lose weight after a recent vacation or at a restaurant or a function even just on an ordinary day. Special occasions, vacations, and restaurant visits do not have to equal overeating and weight gain. There is definitely a correlation, but no causation. I have helped many clients continue to lose weight over the holidays. Because of this, I was recently asked to present holiday eating tips before a group of 70 women. I told them, I count only seven days between Halloween and Valentine's Day, of which most Americans celebrate as a holiday. This does not include every holiday or every religious celebration. You can insert your religious holiday festival in place of the others listed. The point here is there are only seven days between Halloween and Valentine's that are actually considered holidays. Let's just say we're looking at the following, Halloween or fall festival, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and Valentine's Day. Only seven days between October 31 and February 14th of overdoing it are probably not going to cause you to sell the farm. The problem is we are also overdoing it 
all of the other days during this four-month span. Basically, one-third of the year is spent overeating under the guise of the holidays, not just at parties, but all of the time. Not getting a handle on overeating at the holidays is like a snowball rolling downhill, increasing in size and mass each year. My friend Jane calls the holidays the eating season. She and her husband joke that they actually have to train the rest of the year to get ready for it. One of the tips I gave to this particular group of women I spoke with was not to buy Halloween candy before Halloween. Halloween candy is now on the shelves starting September 1st. We are talking a full 60 days of eating Halloween candy before the actual holiday. I promise you, stores sell plenty of Halloween candy during those 60 days. However, when October 31st rolled around and we bought our candy, there was still plenty on the shelves. The day before Thanksgiving, every place I stopped still had huge bowls of Halloween candy right out on their front desk. Or maybe they just have it out year-round and I hadn't noticed. If it is not an actual holiday, you don't need to eat as if it is. Even during the holiday season, most of your breakfasts, lunch, snacks, and dinners are completely up to you. Don't blow your calories on boring everyday stuff you don't even love. Continue to maintain a healthy diet and save your 100-calorie treat allowance for a childhood favorite or a gourmet dessert or whatever holiday treat is available. With desserts, ask yourself after the first bite if what you are eating is calorie worthy before inhaling it. Just because it has sugar in it doesn't mean it is your favorite. I was not born doing this and I learned how to do it. I teach my clients the same thing and they learned how to do it. This is just about awareness. Ask yourself if what you are eating is worth wearing it on your trouble areas because this is exactly where it is going. It is not a lot of fun to save for a special holiday dress and not be able to fit into it. More importantly, ask yourself if whatever you are eating is giving you energy to enjoy all of this holiday fun or making you miserable because you keep overdoing it. Is this behavior getting you closer to your prize or farther away? If you are tempted to overdo it, just remember where we started. This is not the last supper. You will have another dessert tomorrow and the day after and the day after that because this plan allows for a dessert every single day. Just pick a holiday item for your dessert or pick one of the options that I talk about during week one. If you need more ideas, check out Faith vs. Weight on Kindle for $3.99. I have not had a single client who could not find something that worked for them. You can do it. We also need to avoid the all-or-nothing mentality eating the day of an event. I hear people all the time say they eat light before going to a holiday function. I cannot think of a better recipe for disaster unless you are a naturally thin person. I suggest the total opposite. I tell clients not to go to any event starving. I eat all day before an event the same amount I eat every single day. I treat the event dinner the same way I do every other dinner. There's no reason to overdo it. If you go starving, you will leave stuffed. Over time, the health implications of this go beyond the scale. It's just a dinner, not a reason to give up on your dreams. Enjoy the reason you are actually going, the company. In most cases, the problem is actually not your holiday favorite, but the amount. 
If your holiday favorite is something you cannot be temperate with, even after being on this plan for a while, ditch it for now. This applies to any dessert, any time of the year. The reason prudence comes before temperance, prudence as we discussed in week one, is because prudence teaches us that sometimes we just need to say no. An alcoholic cannot be temperate with alcohol. If you have a certain dessert that is a trigger for you, ditch it and find something else. It's okay. This is actually a great way to figure out if something works in your life. You either learn to have a small amount of it for dessert or you get rid of it. It is entirely up to you. There really is not a third option unless you want to continue on your current path. You can try it again after you have successfully been on the plan for a while. Although Thin Mints are not a holiday favorite, you could have fooled me. There was a time I would binge on a sleeve every time Girl Scout season rolled around. At first, I had to be prudent and avoid them altogether until my confidence built on this plan. Now I can be temperate with them and have two for dessert with the mint tea and move on. However, candy corns still seem to be something that I can easily overeat, so I am prudent and avoid them. Get the idea? For some reason, we feel when it comes to the holidays, Girl Scout cookie season, or even when it's our birthday, that we need to gobble up as much as we can, as fast as we can. If you have a holiday favorite that you tend to overdo because you fear it is only available once a year, there are two ways to combat this. Have a little and save the rest for the next day. You can enjoy it over more days, or you can also buy or make more of whatever this favorite item is at any other time of the year. We pretty much have this option in the USA. However, my guess is there will be another dessert looking even more interesting at that point. You can also remind yourself there will be plenty more treats to eat over the holidays. Tomorrow will be another day, so space it out. Something better will come along. Think abundance, not scarcity. Of the near-death experiences I have read about, no one has mentioned regret over not having more desserts. This is not the Last Supper, applies to all meals and snacks, but especially to dinner. Keep portion sizes in check. At dinner, a palm-sized amount of lean protein, lots of veggies, and 100 calories of plant-based fat is the basis for any meal. If you need examples of what 100 calories of plant-based fat servings look like, you can either Google them or check out Faith vs. Weight for $3.99 on Kindle. They're in the appendix. Finally, remember to keep your dinner or after-dinner starchy carb to a fist-sized amount. Top it off with a 100-calorie dessert. Go for quality over quantity and slow down at least while you eat that dessert with a cup of herbal tea or decaf coffee. One of the reasons dark chocolate is so often recommended as a dessert is because it has more fat than sugar, causing it to be more satiating. If you are not a sugar or chocolate lover, you can have 100 calories of any dessert, as long as you stop at 100 calories. doesn't even matter if it's a Twinkie. Popcorn, nuts, or berries may also work for you. For our next stop, Bon Voyage! At the mention of vacation, the word recreation comes to mind, with the root word being create or recreate. Why go on a vacation only to come back to work that has piled up and the additional burden of weight gain? Since vacations equal restaurant eating, we are now going to cover your best strategies for restaurants. Your best strategy starts before you even get to the restaurant. First, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Second, don't forget snacks on vacation as discussed in week one. You need your snacks on vacation just like you do when you are not on vacation. 
if you don't snack as suggested with a protein, plant-based fat, and fruit, like we talked about week one and earlier, you will arrive at your vacation dinners starving. Again, starving equals stuffed. Do not forget healthy snacks. You can get 100 calorie nuts through airport security. You can also usually find an apple somewhere in an airport to have with your 100 calorie nuts and a string cheese. If you want to feel as good or better when you come back from your vacation as you did before you left, plan ahead. It is a wonderful feeling to come home energized from a vacation instead of bloated. Planning for a few minutes each day and before trips can save you 40 to 50 pounds over a year. When you first arrive at a restaurant, always drink water. Then order a salad or raw vegetable appetizer. Why? Because by the time the restaurant brings the main course, everyone is starving and the table has already ordered an appetizer. Even if you had the virtuous intention of a grilled salmon salad with avocado as your main course, by now you have eaten the bread basket and plowed into the gooey, fatty appetizer equaling twice as many calories than what you had planned for your entire dinner. Instead, order a salad, crudites, veggie plate, or broth-based a soup as your appetizer. I will even order a garden salad as an appetizer if my entree is going to be a grilled protein with salad. More vegetables have yet to kill anyone. Have your appetizer veggies with the healthy fat like olive oil, olives, guacamole, hummus, or two tablespoons of nuts on the side. This will count as your fat serving. This simple appetizer trick can save you thousands of calories over a month's time. When I am at restaurants, people comment that I have lots of willpower. I do not. What I do have is the faith versus weight diet plan that I have been teaching you. By following it, I avoid putting myself in situations where I am starving, making it much easier to make temperate decisions. That's it. Finally, avoid the community trough when it comes to dessert or any shared dish. Ask for a small plate and take an amount, no more than one-fourth of a cup for dessert. Have it with a decaf coffee or tea and savor it. After three bites, it's the law of the diminishing returns. What about a glass of wine? The faith versus weight motto on alcohol is one or none. Dementia and Alzheimer's are on the rise and they do not respond well to alcohol since alcohol is poison for your brain. Besides a high sugar diet, excess alcohol is another one of your brain's worst enemies. Most people who drink tend to either overeat or overdrink and the overeating is not excess vegetables. It is easy to lose track of calories when alcohol is involved. If you want the Reservatol, give yourself a serving of grapes after dinner instead. If you are committed to having one glass of wine, then have one glass of wine. The problem is I don't see many people sticking with one. Also, I see overeating when people are drinking. Although we hear a lot about opioid abuse, alcohol abuse is also on the rise for women. If you are going to drink, the rule for this plan is one or none. Decide if prudence or temperance is the right answer for you. Alcohol is not worth God's glory. I have suggestions for entertaining and being entertained in the book. Either way, the plan of protein, veggies, and fat with a starchy carb and a 100-calorie dessert for dinner still apply. We also seem to lack temperance when it comes to exercise. We are either doing too much or too little. There are a lot of misperceptions surrounding exercise and caloric intake when it comes to weight loss. 
Licensing is a psychological behavior that feeds these erroneous beliefs. The thought process goes along these lines. Because I did X, now I deserve Y. Because I had a killer workout, now I deserve a pint of ice cream. It's also more commonly misapplied to stress. Since I had a miserable day at work, I deserve the Nacho Supreme at happy hour in lieu of my workout. Instead, try turning to exercise as a stress reducer. Although stress starts in your head, based on how you react to things, you feel the tension in your body. Trying to sedate it only makes things worse. You are better off unleashing it. Exercise is a great answer for stress for a multitude of reasons, but one of the most overlooked reasons is it releases physical tension. Gross motor exercise, such as walking, stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you relax. Something as simple as going for a walk right after work is a great way to relieve stress, also minimizing the opportunity to overeat. As much as exercise is underestimated as a stress reducer, it is overestimated as a weight loss tool. The truth is, Exercise lies somewhere in the middle. A killer workout does not mean you earned the right to eat a thousand calories in one sitting. You may think the more painful the workout, the higher the caloric burn. This is another weight loss myth. Even if it were true or happened to be true in a particular instance, if something is too hard, you will not be able to sustain it. How painful your workout is has nothing to do often with how many calories you've burned. Weekend warriors wind up with more injuries than weight loss. I see many people at the gym going for killer workouts, thinking they are now able to eat whatever they want because they are sore. On top of that, they tend to be inactive the rest of the day, which actually leads to weight gain and heart disease. Another misperception when it comes to caloric intake is, if I feel like I am starving, then I must be losing weight. Not eating enough can slow your metabolism. This results in your body storing every calorie. Starving yourself is also a surefire way to set yourself up for a trip through the nearest drive-thru, and you are most probably not going to order the salad. If you are not doing any cardio, find a 20-minute window and start moving. Getting your day started on the right foot by listening to worship music or an audio version of the Bible is practicing preventative stress management. Think about doing it together. Think about listening to the Bible while you go for a walk. After work is another ideal time to release stress, but almost any time is a good time for exercise. Many cultures around the world go for a walk after dinner to digest their food. If this is not practical, pick a time of day during lunch break and listen to an audiobook or music or your Bible while you go for a walk or climb stairs. If you are outside, pay attention to your surroundings. Plan on some type of movement every day. I didn't say hardcore workout. I said some type of movement every day. I find that clients who plan on exercising five days wind up doing three. If you plan on doing it three days, it may only happen once. It is actually easier to stick with exercise when it is a daily rather than sporadic commitment. If you do something daily, it is more likely to become a habit. I don't recommend doing the same type or intensity of exercise every day, but I do recommend moving daily. If you do some form of exercise on most days, your body will start expecting it and you will be more likely to find ways to make it happen. Eat according
according to the plan based on your activity level. A lot of times I hear at night or before bed, many new clients tell me they overeat because they are bored, lonely, tired, wired, and so on. Occasionally, you may also overdo it because you have not eaten enough during the day and now you are starving. Whatever the case, eating according to the plan will help keep your energy levels steady, which will help you not overdo it at night. Evening is the time to start winding down. Do not abuse your digestive system, making it work harder, keeping you up half the night trying to digest whatever junk is available. Think soothing and comfort instead of more food. Do evening stretches to prepare for sleep or take a hot shower or enjoy a warm bath to release tension and induce calm. Unwinding before bed is always a good idea. I can't wait to hear how this podcast series changes your life. Join the Faith vs. Weight podcast group on Facebook, a place for Faith vs. Weight podcast listeners to share their journey. If you enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. They are based on excerpts from my book, Faith vs. Weight, available at Amazon, the Prestonwood Bookstore, and Barnes & Noble, Beltline Road, Dallas. Thank you for listening to Faith vs. Weight, reminding you that you already have victory in Christ. To keep up with Maria's class offerings, speaking engagements, or just to follow Maria on social, check out mariabauer.com. Consult your physician before starting any weight loss or exercise program.